there's a reason that we feel that way and we have to check in with it and pursue it. And so we did. And that's how we found out, you know, obviously, like you say, we were very lucky, but it was not because of school. It wasn't because anyone Mm -hmm. flagged it. It was really him finally saying something to me, which took a lot of courage and a lot of kids never do that. Hello and welcome to the Dyslexia Mom Boss Podcast, the show that helps you not only feel empowered and knowledgeable, but confident and a boss mom in the dyslexia journey. I'm your host, Dr. Lauren. All right, welcome back to another fantastic episode of the Dyslexia Mom Boss podcast. So as you all know, we are in season four, which is international talks and storytelling. Now, if you are new to the show and this is your first episode, as I always say, you're in for a treat. If you are an avid listener, you know how the show flows. So today, as I said, this is storytelling. I am excited to introduce a colleague of mine whom I've known for, I believe, at least two years. And she is going to share all about her nonprofit and all the amazing work that they're doing. So Jen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Lauren. Yes. So I always love my guests to introduce themselves because I think that's the best way for everyone to get to know a little bit of who you are. So my audience is mostly moms and I know some teachers as well, but I always love to start off a question about what is your relationship to the dyslexia community? So Jen, give us a little bit of background as to who you are. What's your relationship to the dyslexia community and why is this so important to you? I am a mom also of two kiddos. My youngest is 12 and he is my connection to dyslexia and dysgraphia and ADHD and attentive type. I also have a 16 year old daughter who I think is probably neurotypical. I think we maybe all have some ADHD. So that is my original just connection to dyslexia. My background is as an attorney and mostly trial law. I would say, I guess it was probably five years ago that my son was in the middle of first grade and identified as having dyslexia and dysgraphia. The ADHD came later. It really flipped our world upside Mm -hmm. down. And it has, over the course of the last five years, completely changed. I had all these beliefs about education based on my own personal story. You just don't realize how many beliefs you have about education and being able to read and all those things until it hits your home. Then you actually learn the truth and it is quite a journey. So he's in sixth grade now and he is in a program at his school, is a bridge program. So they get, you know, Orton Gillingham, actually the whole school does five days a week. And on the dyslexia side is really good. He's doing really well. Dysgraphia is still kind of a beast. So I'm very passionate about it because our family had the ability because of resources, because my background as an attorney allows me to be able to research and find solutions, but it has been very difficult. It has been very expensive. It is still very difficult. I was until 1 a.m. being a sixth grader last night. Oh, (laughs) yeah. It shouldn't be this hard for anybody, Mm -hmm. but if it's this hard for us, I really very passionate about changing that for all families. Yeah. You touched on a lot of excellent things. I 
actually want to ask a clarifying question. But before I do, I really appreciate your vulnerability. And like I said, I've known you for about two years. And I feel like in the context of when we met, I didn't know the story. And I love how the stories come out and the emotion is real. I mean, even you saying right now, you know, you're up till one o'clock, you know, helping your son. And these are really the things that moms need to hear. You're not alone in this journey. And I know we're going to talk a little bit more about your nonprofit, but I do want to ask you, you said he was diagnosed in first grade. So did you know, did a teacher say something like that's a critical time to get an early diagnosis? Yeah, I think the blessing of having a child before him who did not Mm. struggle. I mean, really very early on, you know, as early as I would say like three and four years old, my daughter was playing with letters. And even at two, she would recognize letters and menus or on billboards. And then with Reed, he was also so articulate, such a high vocabulary, you know, talked like a little adult, but no interest in letters. Mm, and letter sounds. And then, you know, they both did early preschool and Mm -hmm. Kenzie was learning all these things. And, you know, four and a half years later, you know, he'd finish preschool and it's like, he didn't really know his letters and everybody would say, well, you know, he's a boy, boys don't care that much. I hate Um, that stuff. Yeah. But you know, again, it goes back to beliefs, like some sort of like gender stereotype I have. I'm not an educator. So you know, teachers are telling me, oh, that's what happens with boys. Well, maybe it does. Like, you know, I don't know. I think the blessing of having Kenzie and I would get told you can't compare them like they're different kids, but I didn't feel like I was comparing them. I was like, no, they're both, I believe, equally intelligent. Right. That one of them, everything's coming easy to, and the other one is struggling and he's trying. I'm embarrassed to say actually how hard we're trying. So the way I really found out is, you know, we were working so hard every night. I was torturing that little boy unintentionally thinking, you know, they're saying he's not trying, he's being lazy. And so I was just drilling him with sight words and spelling tests. And in the middle of first grade, it was like November of his first grade year, this sweet little cherub cheek boy just absolutely broke down and said, no, mom, I'm the dumbest kid in the school. Like everybody makes fun of me and says... Of course, my son's also named Reed. You know, everybody says Reed can't read. And oh, oh no. Oh, my gosh. And everybody laughs at me. And I just was like, what? He just broke down. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't admit, like, it's not that I didn't believe him, but I did think that, you know, maybe that it happened one time and it was just embarrassing. I did not think it was a daily occurrence, but they did say it was. And I was very straightforward and said that these are all the things we're doing. And, you know, they just said, well, that's everything you can do. And he just needs to try harder. Oh my gosh. And I was like, I think it's more than that. Like finally, like the gut instinct of Mm -hmm. four years, basically of not listening to the mom instinct that I guess if I could say anything to moms, it's just that we know our kids better. You do. Anybody else. Absolutely. There's a reason that we get that little feeling and whether it's about reading or what they're doing on social media or who they're hanging out with or whatever else, there's a reason that we feel that way and we have to check in with it and pursue it. And so we did. And that's how we found out, you know, obviously, like you say, we were very lucky, but it was not because of school. It wasn't because anyone Mm -hmm. flagged it. It was really him finally saying something to me, which took a lot of courage and a lot of kids never do that. It's the bond that he and I have, that I have this connection to him. And Mm -hmm. he finally 
was suffering enough mm-hmm. and trusted me enough to tell me mm-hmm. I need your help. Wow. I'm still processing that story. And I know you said it was four years ago, but you told it like it happened last week. And I know that the emotions are still there. And he is such an inspiration. And even so, you have created a nonprofit called Read Charitable Foundation. Can you tell our audience about the work that the nonprofit does? Yes, I would be happy to. It is definitely, you know, I feel like my life's purpose. Yes. And I'm so grateful to get to do the work and feel like we're taking something that has been really hard and heartbreaking and frustrating and turn it into something positive. So when Reed was identified with dyslexia, the neuropsychologist said he needs Orton-Gillingham. Of course, I had no Mm -hmm. idea what that was. What that was, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Like I say, I have the ability to research. And at that time, we live in Orlando, Florida. There was one person in our geographic area that was certified at any level in the Orton-Gillingham Academy to tutor or work with any student with dyslexia. And of course, we know one in five have dyslexia. And of course, then there's a much bigger literacy crisis. You know, in Florida last year, the FSA scores came out and said 75% of Florida's third graders can't read at grade level. Wow. So we got a big problem. And Mm -hmm. uh, of course, Mm -hmm. I didn't know all of that yet, but I did learn about Orton-Gillingham. I tracked this incredible tutor down. She started working with Reed. It was a long process. I know this is a short podcast, so I won't (laughs) go into all the details, but it was really hard, really expensive. You know, I'd have to leave work. I was still practicing law at that point. And, you know, again, I'm like, how does anybody do this that can't leave their job in the middle of the day and can't afford, you know, $100 an hour and three to five days a week? And, right. And of course, they can't. And so it's part of the reason we have a huge literacy crisis. 20% of it's dyslexia, but, you know, 55% of it's just dystichia. If you're a tired teacher looking for a way out of the classroom and want to turn your expertise and talents into becoming your boss, creating your flexible schedule, and building a business that serves your needs and wants, then you want to subscribe to my Tired Teacher to Teacherpreneur Mindset Monday episodes. If you want a taste of what it's like to transition out of the classroom to becoming a teacherpreneur, then join me every Monday for 15 minutes. This exclusive subscription offers a community, resources, and access to me all for $5 a month. Put that $5 towards your morning coffee from Starbucks to good use and subscribe today. Click the link in the show notes and hang out with me and other teachers every Monday at 5 a.m. See you there. And then I took the training myself. I took associate level trainings so the 60 hours. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I made my living off of reading, writing and spelling. And I was like, well, everyone should know this. Right, uh, exactly. I think I obviously was able to memorize a lot of words and remember things. And so, you know, I'm like, well, there's actually rules here. How nice Uh, that you don't just have to remember. So I took the training to be able to help him. Right. Because I was in the training, it was me and 23 teachers. Everyone had master's degrees Mm. in elementary ed, ESE, reading something, thinking that continuing to take trainings to try to figure out how to teach 
all kids had to read, write, and spell. And, you know, they were crying throughout the two weeks. And I was like, okay. I think what I thought was that teachers knew how to help read, but Mm -hmm. because he was at a private school, but they were like, you know what? We don't want to have a kid here that has a learning difference. That's what public school's for. Go there. We just didn't want to put in the effort. But the truth is they just didn't know. Right, exactly. So I realized, okay, we have this huge issue with financial and geographic accessibility to Orton-Gillingham, which is based in the science of reading and is literally best for all kids and vital for dyslexic students. And Mm -hmm. we have teachers who don't know that it exists, can't afford to get it, and are desperate to be able to help their students. Like, how can we bridge this gap? And so what we do is we partner with fellows and we have one of the individuals on our staff, one of our OG directors is actually a fellow in training. So hopefully in the next year, she'll actually be a fellow through the academy. And so we train teachers for free or very low cost in Orton-Gillingham Academy training through fellows. The cost is $350. It includes their materials, their sound decks, and Mm -hmm. their implementation support. So that's all built into the trainings. We don't just train teachers. We also provide the implementation support that we know is so critical to teachers being successful in the classroom. And then we also provide monthly during the school year, Teacher University, which is a live Zoom meeting where we bring everybody together that's able to. We also record it. So we send it out to people if they weren't able to make it. But on various topics in implementing Orton-Gillingham, either whole classroom, small group, or one-on-one instruction so that we can make it financially and geographically accessible to everybody. And the goal is that every teacher would be trained so every child can read. Wow. I am going to go back to you taking the course yourself. Now, literally, as you were telling the story, I thought about a mom when I took my associate level course back in 2011. And I had no idea what I was getting involved in, honestly, because my first job out of grad school was at a private dyslexic school. And I was told I was going to the 60-hour Orton-Gillingham training. And I had no idea what it was, but I showed up. And I remember it was the teachers that you know worked there and this one mom. And I remember asking her, are you one of the teachers here? And she said, no. She said, my daughter was just diagnosed. I have no idea what this is. I want to know how to help her. And I just thought at the time, I didn't have any kids. I was like, that is such an admirable thing to do. But it goes deeper than that now that I'm a mom. Like, no, this was like, I need to understand how to help my child. And I just remember there were some tears for her and it was really hard. And I think she really understood this is why my child is struggling. You know, to comment on the public school thing, public school wasn't doing what my child needed. And this is what my child needed. And ironically, Her daughter was in my class, I think a year or two later, and she did so well. And it was just awesome that I got to teach her and I became friends with her and all that good stuff. But yeah, I think that that is something if parents can afford it, it really opens up your world and you get angry because you're like, wait a second, you know, you being a lawyer, you've built your career on reading and writing and you're like, wait a second, why is this so difficult to teach or why don't teachers know this? And I have said many times that this is a systemic issue at the university and teacher prep level, along with public school and the superintendents, and it trickles down and buying into science of reading and, you know, the leveled readers and all of that stuff that you're well aware of. You know, I just think that it's amazing that everything aligned for you to create this nonprofit. 
And what I love the most is two years ago when we connected, we were really talking about bringing in the different demographics. So more of educating the brown and black communities, because I'm just going to be honest, the Orton-Gillingham Academy isn't very diverse in terms of practitioners. Now we are working on diversifying, but there wasn't really anyone who looked like me when I was training. And so I think it's so important for this training to be available to all. And I know that that's what you believe as well, which is how you were able to get a fellow to really train all of the teachers in your area. And I believe you're doing it virtually too. I do want you to touch on that as well. But I loved that. When we met and you shared this, I was like, this is a brilliant idea, but how do we do this? You know, and I know a lot has changed between two years ago and now. But I love this. And I actually just recommended a teacher to get in contact with you who lives in Orlando because she's really wanting to get some OG training. So I had a lot of thoughts when you were talking about all of that. And I really hope it resonated with a lot of parents who are listening. Yeah. And we do train parents. I get asked that question a lot. And obviously, my background isn't in education, but it is a lot of information for a parent to take. But if you have the time, And, you know, us moms, there's nothing that's going to stop a mom from helping her kiddo if it's humanly possible. So we do do a lot of that. But to your point, we do train teachers virtually a lot, actually. It's still a live training, but we train them virtually. And we have actually trained teachers since January of 2021. So really not even that long. We've trained over 1,500 teachers. Wow. Over 40 states in six different countries. Oh my gosh, Jen, that is amazing. That is amazing. Even in Africa, we're working on another partnership in Ghana. And I will say never in my wildest dreams did I think that we would maybe ever, but certainly in the first two years, be training teachers in Ghana and Mm -hmm. in Nigeria and that they would then not only be working with their students in schools, but then also taking it to refugee camps and Mm -hmm. (laughs) providing instruction to those individuals, both kiddos, youth, and adults, because they aren't getting any education at all. I think it's opened up, obviously my mind, but like my whole world, understanding that you know, we live in the information age. And if you cannot read, write and spell, it Mm -hmm. is the very unique person that is going to be able to overcome that big of an obstacle in the world we live in now. And Mm -hmm. we have a responsibility. It is also an incredible opportunity. We can really change. And honestly, if you look at the societal issues we face, there is not a single one that isn't directly correlated to literacy to begin with. Everything, school to prison pipeline, the food and housing Mm -hmm. insecurity, you know, mental health issues, addiction. And honestly, even when you're looking at cures for cancer and, Mm -hmm. you know, world peace and global warming. And when we don't empower and ensure that the 95% of the population that's cognitively able to read actually can, I don't really know what we expect we're going to see our population and our country and our culture and our world look like. And when you don't empower the 20%, these dyslexic kiddos that are brilliant and Mm -hmm, are the ones mm -hmm. who think outside the box and are the ones who do figure out how to solve problems, they're the ones who really change our world and we leave them behind. I think the other thing is 
when we started this, I really thought Orton-Gillingham was intervention for students with dyslexia. And I totally accepted that. That's fine. Okay, we mm-hmm. need to do, that's what he needs. But what I've learned over the course of five years is that there is a literacy crisis. There is a body of research called the science of reading and mm-hmm. Orton-Gillingham fits very squarely into those pillars. And it also has a lot of extras like being diagnostic and prescriptive and being right. emotionally sound. Mm-hmm. It is literally best practice for all for students, all students. And if we just did that, oh my gosh, what a difference it would make for all kids. We have to stop making dyslexic students feel like they need something different or special. The truth is what they need is what's best for everybody. Right. I absolutely agree. And the things you just touched on with Orton Gillingham, those are, I believe they're 12 or 14 principles. And I know one of my colleagues and good friend who is an OG fellow, she was on the podcast a while ago. And that one actually was about releasing mom guilt. That's episode 42 with uh, Natalie Felix. But she was talking about how, you know, this is good for everybody. And because of those principles, that's why it works. So you're doing excellent work, Jen. And I know you know that. And people who are listening, I'm really hoping that you go check out Read Charitable Foundation. And Jen, we are coming to the end of our episode and I would love for you to share, how can people find you, support the nonprofit, donate anything to kind of close up this conversation? Well, thank you for asking that. Obviously, we have a website and that is www.read and it's R-E-E-D, charitablefoundation.org because we are a nonprofit. My contact information is also there, my email and those sorts of things if someone wanted to email us directly. And we are also on Instagram and Facebook. Also just read Charitable Foundation. I'm also on LinkedIn personally and Read Charitable Foundation is on LinkedIn. And we also have a YouTube channel, which I will say has a lot of our videos from major fundraiser we do in October, which is Dyslexia Awareness Month. Mm, yes. Every year we pick a different dyslexic strength. This year is actually the surfers, which mm-hmm. is going to be really fun. Last year was comedians, the year before that, culinary artists, and the year before that. Oh, yeah. I remember that. I love the themes. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So we interview kids and professionals that are dyslexic and uniquely gifted in those particular areas. So there's some really great videos that are very uplifting, encouraging. I know there's a couple of families that watch them regularly just because they're super positive, but also truthful. You know, there are obviously struggles that come with dyslexia. It's very real, still very real for us because mostly more because of comorbidities. But we also are really trying to put good content into the world that is helpful for parents and for kiddos to see other kids like them who are finding their gifts and talents and have a similar story. So that's always a good thing to check out too. Yeah, definitely. So all of those links are in the show notes. So if you are driving or working out, you can definitely see them at the end of the episode. So Jen, thank you so much for finding some time to chat, share your vulnerabilities, share your story, talking about the inspiration behind Read Charitable Foundation, all the good work that the nonprofit is doing. I just love connecting with you. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Lauren. I really appreciate it. And thank you for all of the really important work that you are doing and all of the people that you're bringing to the table. As many folks as we can have talk about 
dyslexia and literacy and how we can help, there's a solution to be able to really help people and empower them. I think maybe in our generation, I sure hope so. <laughs> yeah, we, I know. we will see the kind of change that needs to happen and should happen and our kids deserve. Absolutely. And on that note, that's exactly what we'll be doing next week. We're going to keep talking about this because we can change the narrative. So stay tuned for next week's episode. 